We, the people, will not be silenced. We, the people, will not be bullied. We, the people, will not surrender. You tell him, Joe. I think he's right. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. It may be soon. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Sort of. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, down in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, in Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Well, hey, good news, at least for those of you invested in the stock market. Stock market numbers are way up today, supposedly (laughs) based on what appears to be Wall Street's presumption that Joe Biden will be the next president. Wow. So much for that misinformation you were told before the election that Wall Street is worried about Joe Biden winning. The Dow, in fact, rallied. Uh, it was up about 600 points at one at one time today. It ended up about 550 uh, points up on the news, the good news for Joe Biden. Uh, sadly, COVID numbers are also way up today, thanks to the fact that Donald Trump remains our president for the time being, with a record 100,000 new cases reported on Thursday in the U.S. So much for Donald Trump's misinformation that you wouldn't hear anybody talking about COVID after the November 3rd election. Unfortunately, we will be talking about those numbers for quite some time, as both the hospitalization and death rates always Uh, follow increases in infection rates and they have been going up and they continue to be going up and I remember today from way back months ago when Anthony Fauci had warned that we might see 100,000 infections a day by fall and it seemed to be an unthinkable number at the time not anymore Turns out it's very thinkable. Yeah, the virus is uh, running rampant now in in almost every state in the union, thanks to our failed, uh, hopefully soon-to-be ex-president. 
uh, who even held his own mask-free late-night super spreader event at the White House a couple of nights ago to falsely claim that uh, the election was being stolen from him. That was on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. While he, by the way, might be immune for now, maybe, after having contracted the virus a couple of weeks ago, I suspect most of the folks in that room on uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning uh, well, uh, most of them aren't immune, and some of them may be bringing back a little souvenir from the White House <laughs> oh, to their hometowns this week. Uh, this White House cannot be uh, emptied and fumigated quickly enough, if you ask me, in the wake of our four-year national disaster that has been the Trump presidency. And as each hour passes, we do appear closer and closer to that likelihood, as I explained on yesterday's show. And despite the long shot that we are now looking at of Senate's uh, of, of, of Democrats retaking a Senate majority in that body, it's still possible. But we may have to wait for two now uh, pretty tough runoff elections in January in Georgia to know for sure. Uh, but the fact that there is now likely to be two runoffs in two Senate races in Georgia is at least worth hanging your hopes, uh, hanging on to your hopes for uh, a Democratic majority at this hour. Oh, yeah, it ain't over yet. So there's still some fight there. But despite that long shot Senate takeover, Desi Doyen, and some apparent uh, losses to the Democratic majority in the U.S. House, the most important big news continues to look very promising at this hour regarding what appears to be the very likely end of the Trump presidency. And yet, Desi Doyen, mm -hmm. people like you and many other Americans, uh, you have yet to feel too good about that likelihood. Why is that? That's right. Well, I think it's partly, you know, uh, I guess you could call it a superstition to not want to uh, jinx something <laughs> by declaring it before it's actually happened. Yeah. But the other part is that I do not trust this uh, stolen right-wing Supreme Court further than I can throw them. And as you know, I cannot throw that far. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I fully... I don't expect this, and I would be, frankly, shocked and really saddened if it does happen, but there is that question about whether or not Republican state legislatures, say, in Pennsylvania, could use fabricated evidence to then say, gosh, these uh, these votes are invalid, and we're going to elect our own slate of electors. And then, of course, the Pennsylvania governor would veto that, so then the Pennsylvania state legislature, Republicans, take that to the Supreme Court, and we don't know how that Supreme Court would rule, but they could conceivably throw the election to Trump based on that, which to me would be a coup. And yeah, I'm kind of kind of nervous about that. Great. Now you've terrified me. <laughs> no, actually, I'm not all that worried about that. I think you're right. That's completely a possibility if everything comes down to Pennsylvania. Right. And, and, but, and granted, this may not happen, uh, but yeah. it's one of those things that is now within the realm well, of possibility. Looking at the states that remain uncalled at this hour as we go to air, it does not look good for Donald Trump and not only just in Pennsylvania. Uh, with only one exception, in fact, things are looking uh, much worse today for Donald Trump than they did even yesterday. And while Pennsylvania's Secretary of State had previously suggested that their vote counting could be done today, 
it looks now uh, like that won't be done until at least Friday after Republicans managed to slow things down with, yes, one of their lawsuits, which we will get to shortly with election law professor Josh Douglas, who will be here to explain what, if any merit, any of the many lawsuits now desperately being filed by Team Trump actually have. Uh, right now, at least as we go to air, there are essentially just six uncalled states, uncalled by the media uh, because there are still too many votes out there uh, that could affect the final results in the presidential race. One of those six states is Alaska, which does not even begin counting their mail-in ballots, as I understand it, until next week. And it is most likely to go for Donald Trump, though it'll be interesting to see if there is a surprise in the Senate race there. Um, but we will uh, well, let's go ahead and give Alaska to Donald Trump for now. That leaves just five states that remain uncalled by the media as based on the unofficial tabulation numbers reported by the various states. And when I say tabulation numbers, these are computer tabulated uh, votes in almost every case. The computers are either right or wrong. It's very uh, infrequent that anybody bothers to check it to find out if those results actually are right or wrong. So for the moment, we're going to assume they are right. Uh, the, the five states then that are uncalled at this hour, Nevada, Arizona, though both AP and Fox News have already called it for Biden in Arizona. But there seems to be a decent chance now that Donald Trump could, in fact, have a comeback there. Unless he keeps his Twitter promise today to stop counting votes. But, you know, so he probably wants them to continue in Arizona. Uh, so Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania. So Nevada and Arizona in the West. In the East, Pennsylvania, North Carolina and Georgia. So without Arizona, where Biden still leads at this hour, uh, the 17 electoral votes uh, that he, he would need sh to become the president of the United States, he needs 270. Uh, right now, that's where he is. He is shy, just 17 votes. With Arizona, if you put that in his column, as Fox and AP did, Biden is just six electoral votes shy of 270. Got that? So he, he needs at this point to either pick up 17 electoral votes or six electoral votes, depending on whether you give him uh, Arizona or not. So I think being cautious on Arizona is still wise. So let's say that Biden needs to pick up 17 electoral votes. Well, he's leading right now in both Arizona and Nevada out west, but his lead in, in uh, Arizona has now fallen to just, what is it, 2.4 percentage points as late mail ballots on Wednesday night broke pretty heavily towards Donald Trump by a significant margin. That runs counter to the pattern that we have seen elsewhere in the country, but it was not entirely unexpected, according to the New York Times's Nate Cohn, who uh, notes the numbers moving toward Biden, but uh, I'm sorry, uh, 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 moving towards Trump, but says that no matter how you cut the data, 
He says it's hard not to arrive at the conclusion that Biden's lead in Arizona will withstand this late vote count. But there's also, he says, enough uncertainty with that number and the kinds of ballots that are left that it'd be a mistake to be too sure about it. Therefore, New York Times has not called Arizona for Joe Biden. But that's the brightest spot for Donald Trump right now, period. And if Joe Biden takes Pennsylvania, it does not matter if Donald Trump takes Arizona. So what's going on in Pennsylvania? Well, Trump's lead in that state has now plummeted to less than one and a half points or about 80,000 votes out of about six and a half million cast. With the uh, mail uh, mail in ballot count uh, proceeding briskly across the state and, according to Cohn, every indication that Biden remains on track to pull ahead when all of the votes are in and counted, whenever that may be. Biden uh, has been winning the absentee votes. Those are the ones they're counting now by a huge margin, about 77 percent to 22 percent, according to the uh, secretary of state there. Uh, she told uh, CNN mid-afternoon on Thursday that there are still about 500,000 ballots yet to be counted. So even if you're not good at math, um, Trump is now leading by just eight, 80,000 votes. There are half a million left. And if the rate continues as they are now, uh, 77 to 22 for Biden, it does not look good for Donald Trump, at least if Cohn's math holds up. If so, Biden will win the state of Pennsylvania by about 100,000 votes, Des. We'll see what happens. You still don't feel any better? Not, not until the votes are actually counted. I got gotcha. you. I hear you. Smartly done. Uh, by the way, that's a state that Donald Trump won in 2016, supposedly, by a little bit more than 40,000 votes. But in any event, if Biden takes just Pennsylvania's 20 electoral votes, that'll give him what he needs to win. 273 right there on its own without any of these other states we've mentioned. No matter how you count Arizona or Nevada or North Carolina or Georgia. But Georgia is certainly worth watching anyway. The president's lead in that state has all but vanished at this point. Over the past 24 hours since we last spoke on this show, Trump now leads, uh, at least as of airtime here, by two-tenths of a percentage point in Georgia. Just 9,000 votes out of more than 5 million cast. It is not certain, though, how many ballots there are. On Thursday morning, my very good friend, Georgia's Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, <laughs> he initially said that there was 25,000 more votes. Later, he said it was 50,000 more votes. The New York Times has been reporting they count about 61,000 votes. Uh, and most of them appear to be in the very Democratic areas in and around Atlanta, meaning that Joe Biden, yes, will likely overtake Trump, perhaps by the time you hear today's show. In Georgia, there are 16 electoral college votes. If those were the only ones of these remaining states that went to Biden, that would give him just 269 electoral college votes. That would be one shy of the 270 he needs. So, if he only wins Georgia, he will have to win at least one more state. The easiest one that we have not uh, yet discussed, that would be Nevada, where Biden leads um, 
while his lead seems smallish at about uh, less than 12,000 votes, but it has been growing today. Uh, Earlier in the day, it was 8,000. It is now up to 12,000 as votes are counted in Clark County. That's the largest county in the state. It includes the Democratic-leaning Las Vegas. Again, uh, that's a pickup of about 3,000 votes in, I'm sorry, 4,000 votes just in a few hours here. Nevada has about 190,000 ballots still to be counted, according to the Secretary of State, and 90% of them are from Clark County, where Biden in that county alone leads by eight percentage points. The registrar in Clark County uh, said the county would release the next batch of votes around noon Eastern time on Friday. So that's where things stand in Nevada, about 12,000 votes up for Biden and seemingly rising. Feeling better yet, Des? No. I didn't think so. Uh, Because you never, you will not, until he holds his hand up and and says, uh, I do, or what is it that they say? (laughs) I will. I will. Uh, You're not going to. You're, you're just not going to rest Listen, easy, are you? No rest until Inauguration Day, seriously. Yeah. Well, with what's going on there in Nevada, no wonder then a bunch of Trumpy officials uh, showed up in Las Vegas today to claim massive fraud going on there. Uh, but as our friend Jake Soberoff over at NBC found out, there is apparently zero evidence in support Surprise! of this lawsuit that they are filing and these claims, these very serious charges they are making. Here's a snippet of what happened when Soberoff tried to find out from Trump's former acting director of national intelligence. Uh, this is the wingnut Richard Grinnell. Yes, he was on the ground in Nevada. I think he might have been with Eric Trump. Uh, and, yeah, and yeah. also, and what was interesting about this was that they refused to identify themselves in front of local media. They wouldn't say who they were? They would not. I kid so, you not. So Soberoff had to say, hello, Richard Grinnell, yes, former yes, acting. Yes, he did. Into- all right. Well, uh, that's that's weird. Uh, anyway, so all of these people were there making these claims. Uh, and here's a Soberoff trying to talk to uh, Richard Grinnell, trying to figure out exactly what it was that Team Trump was even charging in Nevada. Hey, Rick Grinnell, uh, we're live on MSNBC right now. Can you talk about the evidence? You are claiming Locking thousands sucks. of illegitimate votes here in Nevada. Locking What's the evidence? You should, you should go in and ask the question of the clerk. No, 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 no. Which you haven't you done You guys yet. just made and the so claim. No, in fact, you also said there's no election observers. There's Democratic and Republican election observers inside, Mr. Grinnell. Former DNI Grinnell, acting DNI. Where's the evidence of the fraud? You haven't presented any evidence of fraud. Where's the Matt Schlapp? Where are the illegitimate ballots? Where are the illegitimate ballots? So we know for a fact there are Democratic and Republican election observers inside. Uh, what they have said here is supported by virtually no facts. No facts. Well, that's unlike them, isn't it? Uh, by the way, Jake Soberoff, in case you don't know, uh, I mentioned uh, he's our friend. He's been on the show. Uh, it's been many years now, but he used to run uh, an election integrity organization yes. named YTuesday.org. Yes. And I laugh, but it's only because he's adorable because he's so young Well, uh, but he, in the videos. But he's an election integrity guy. So yes, to see him is. on the ground saying, where is this evidence of fraud that you're talking about? Uh, good job, Jake. Uh, anyway, for the record... Um, 
but that's what's going on in Nevada. For the record, in, in North Carolina, that's the only one I mentioned, uh, Biden is also picking up votes there. But it's unclear how many ballots, how many more ballots are actually left there to be counted. So at this point, I would not count on Biden picking up North Carolina, unlike probably Pennsylvania, probably Georgia, probably Nevada, and maybe, if not probably or definitely Arizona. That despite Desi Doyen's concerns. <laughs> That's a whole lot of paths for Joe Biden to seal the deal with very few paths left for Donald Trump. So, of course, Donald Trump is doing what he does. He's just suing anybody and everybody anywhere he can to see if something, anything might stick, anything might work. Now, he does believe, probably correctly, as Des points out, that he has the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, in any event, in his pocket. So might that work? Election and constitutional law professor Josh Douglas joins us next to explain what, if any, legal trump cards uh, that the soon-to-be former president, at least in my opinion, might still be holding at this time. Quick break. We will come back with that. And Desi Doyen, you've got a Green News report for us, don't you? Yep. All right. We'll look forward to that as well. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is still The Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, after weeks of Democrats and Biden supporters telling Americans they may need to prepare to take it to the streets in support of a Biden victory, should Donald Trump try to steal the election somehow, as many worried and may still be worried, uh, it appears, in fact, to be largely only Trump supporters right now who are currently hitting the bricks around parts of the nation. Uh, their message to date, however, has been somewhat confusing based on whatever particular still uncalled state that they happen to be protesting in. For example, in Detroit on Wednesday, uh, where Trump pro protesters had attempted a Florida 2000 style attempt to sort of break into the counting room, uh, but they were rebuffed uh, while counting continued and major media outlets in Michigan had already uh, called the race for Biden. They were also heard chanting in protest on the streets of Detroit. The Stop the Count chant, uh, apparently in support of Donald Trump's false White House claims from late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning, that the counting of legal ballots cast before Election Day somehow amounts to fraud or an attempt by Democrats to steal the election. So there they were. Stop the count. Stop the count. And yet in 
Arizona, I think this was Maricopa, that's Phoenix, Arizona, on uh, the same day, on Wednesday, uh, where both Fox News and AP had already called the race for Joe Biden, perhaps prematurely. Donald Trump supporters had a very different angry message. Not stop the count, but count the votes. Come on, people. You're at war. Pick a side. We put them both together uh, just for fun. Mixed messages, as they say. And by way of one more example where the Trump post-election protest slash legal strategy seems to be struggling, at least at this point, for coherency, much less effectiveness, uh, in Michigan on Thursday, a judge denied a request from the Trump campaign to immediately halt the counting of absentee ballots in the state, finding a problem with their argument when the judge pointed out that the tallying of absentee ballots was actually already completed, according to the New York Times late today. As we have been reporting, Donald Trump's campaign filed lawsuits on Wednesday in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Georgia, hoping to lay the groundwork for contesting battleground states as he continued to slip behind Democrat Joe Biden in the hunt for the 270 electoral college votes needed to win the White House. And as the White House tried to begin to prep for how they would challenge results wherever possible, once it became clear that Biden was indeed most likely to get at least 270 electoral votes, would they somehow be able to reverse the will of the American people via the federal court system that Republicans have spent so many years packing with far right GOPers? The new filings on Wednesday, and there were a few more on Thursday, I believe, joined existing Republican legal challenges in Pennsylvania and Nevada, demanding better access for campaign observers to locations where ballots are being processed and counted and they and and raise absentee ballot concerns, at least according to the campaign. Specifics have been few in coming. At one Michigan location, however, in question, the state's largest counting area in Detroit, Uh, Poll watchers from both sides were, in fact, monitoring the count normally on Wednesday, as the Associated Press observed. The Trump campaign is also seeking to intervene in a Pennsylvania case at the U.S. Supreme Court that deals with whether ballots received up to three days after the election can still be counted, as the state's Supreme Court has previously ruled under that state's uh, state's constitutional fair elections clause. The actions reveal an emerging, some have said desperate, legal strategy that the president has been signaling for weeks, namely that he would attack the integrity of the voting and apparently the counting uh, in states where the results could mean his defeat. His campaign also announced that it would ask for a recount in Wisconsin, a state that the uh, that most major media outlets have now called for Joe Biden uh, as of Wednesday afternoon. Trump campaign manager Bill Stepien has cited, quote, irregularities in several Wisconsin counties, but he did not provide any specifics. Just as Trump campaign rep and uh, former acting director of national intelligence Richard Grinnell did on Thursday in Nevada, 
where he claimed there was fraud ongoing but refused to provide any details on any irregularities to reporters after announcing the latest legal actions there. Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro said in a CNN interview that the lawsuit uh, filed there was, quote, more a political document than a legal document. He said there is transparency in this process. The counting has been going on. The observers are observing this counting and the counting will continue, he vowed. The Michigan lawsuit claims that Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, a Democrat, was allowing absentee ballots to be counted without teams of bipartisan observers as well as challengers. She accused uh, she's accused of undermining the, quote, constitutional right of all Michigan voters to participate in fair and lawful elections. Well, that does not sound good, no matter which side is charging it. However, poll watchers from both sides were reportedly plentiful on Wednesday at the uh, largest polling place in the state. That's the TCF Center in Detroit, according to the AP. Observers, they said, checked in at a table near the entrance to the convention center's hall and strolled among the tables where ballot processing was taking place. In some cases, they arrived en masse and huddled together for a group discussion and then fanned out onto the floor. Mark Brewer, a former state Democratic chair who said he was observing the Detroit vote count as a volunteer lawyer, said Republicans had not been denied access. He said this is the best absentee ballot counting operation that Detroit has ever seen. They are counting ballots very efficiently, despite obstructing tactics of the Republicans, he said. That was on Wednesday. Now, according to the judge, the counting is done. So while at least in Michigan. So while all of this tends to reek of desperation by the Trump camp, it is worth remembering that with a packed federal judiciary, and a packed and stolen far-right partisan U.S. Supreme Court, it would be a mistake to underestimate whatever Trump cards the president believes he has left to play here regarding his legal strategy, if it can even be called that. Joining us now to discuss whether it can be called that uh, and whether there actually is a strategy that is legitimate at least enough to eventually make its way to the right-wing Hacks that have been packed onto the GOP's six to three U.S. Supreme Court is our friend, Professor Joshua A. Douglas of the University of Kentucky College of Law, where he teaches election law, voting rights, constitutional law, and is the author of the book Vote for Us How to Take Back Our Elections and Change the Future of Voting. Oh, counselor, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you for having me, as always. Always great to have you. All right. Well, these uh, lawsuits, uh, Josh, at this point uh, from the Trump campaign have been have been coming and going so quickly. Even I'm having trouble keeping up with them all. Have you been able to reasonably follow what seems to be Trump's, in my opinion, sort of incoherent and, and seemingly contradictory strategy where he's demanding all votes be counted in some places, but that all the counting be stopped in other places? Are you able to even keep up with it at this point? Well, look, there's not really a coherent legal strategy to speak of. He's throwing as much spaghetti to the wall as he can and seeing what sticks. You know, it's not unusual for a candidate to try to get more ballots cast when they're down to the count and stop the counting of ballots when you're up in the count. We saw that in 2008 in mm-hmm. the 
Norm Coleman, Al Franken, Minnesota Senate dispute. Yeah. Uh, where, and kind of a funny thing about that election was that during the recount, the lawyers flipped their arguments in terms of which ballot should be counted or not based on who was up in the count at that time. <laughs> I see. But, but that, so, so, so that's fine. The, the, the real the problem I have is that we're reporting on these lawsuits as if they have any merit whatsoever, um, and they don't. You know, I, I don't think we should even be giving them airtime because, in my view, the real goal here is to undermine people's faith in the integrity of the election. You know, Trump has told us for months, if not years, that uh, he wouldn't agree uh, to a loss because he thinks it would only be uh, come about because of fraud. And I think this just tries to play into that narrative. So I kind of object to the whole notion that we're even talking about it seriously. All right. Well, let me uh, ask you a question that I hope you uh, well that that you may even object to further, Josh. Uh, I know that good lawyers uh, are actually able to uh, you know basically make the case for either side of a case. If you were in charge of Trump's legal team right now, and you know I just saw a photograph of this uh, this guy used to be in charge of the uh, the Republican Law- Lawyers Association, I think is what they were called. A guy by the name of Thor Hearn, who disgraced himself years ago, arguing that there was massive voter fraud by Democrats in Ohio. He was the attorney on the case in Michigan that just got tossed out because the counting had ended uh, while he was trying to get it stopped. So I don't want to put you in his camp, in his shoes, but if you were in his shoes, is there a way to make a legal argument at this time? Uh, would you be doing that or would you be essentially waiting, as, as I might, uh, to see what state any of this is actually going to come down to and see in that state if there actually is some sort of a coherent argument to make? Well, look, I would be determining whether or looking into whether there's a bucket of ballots that might be concerning with respect to whether they're legal or not. So in Pennsylvania, for example, there are ballots that are arriving after November 3rd. Mm -hmm. Now, currently under the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's ruling, those ballots, as long as they're postmarked by November 3rd and arrive by Friday, November 6th, they count. Mm -hmm. But it's an open question, I think, uh, from the U.S. Supreme Court as to whether they should count, that is, the U.S. Supreme Court has indicated that they're interested in considering whether the state Supreme Court has the authority to extend the absentee ballot deadline or only if the state legislature can do that. Mm -hmm. So I'd be looking at, you know, the margins in Pennsylvania, for example, and seeing how many ballots are coming in after November 3rd and what the margin of, uh, of Joe Biden's lead is in that state and similar sorts of things in other states. I might be looking for provisional ballots. These are ballots where people show up in person, but there's some sort of problem, like their name wasn't on the registration roll, um, they uh, don't have the right kind of ID. This year in some states, if you requested an absentee ballot but then changed your mind and decided to vote in person, in some states you had to vote provisional ballots. So I'd be looking at that. Um, you know, Georgia looks like it might be close, and there's an issue of whether voters can cure their ballots and how many ballots out there are being rejected that might be subject to ballot curing. Those are the sorts of things I might be looking for, not this kind of nonsense, scatterbrained, file lawsuits everywhere to try to stop the counting of legal votes. It just undermines any sort of 
integrity in what the legal arguments might actually be. So you might be, uh, if, if not filing suits, filing public records re- requests or demanding uh, access to the various information to determine if, in fact, uh, these these votes should be uh, uh, tossed out. You you wouldn't be necessarily just. I mean, because that seems to be what they're doing. They're just blanket saying uh, stop stop counting, stop uh, stop counting, or keep counting, whatever the case may be, without any evidence in support of what they're actually doing. Yeah, they're making you know wild allegations of voter fraud, uh, but you know without having any evidence that this actually occurred, and then they're spreading misinformation on social media about anecdotes that, when you look into them, turns out to be perfectly valid situations. There was some issue in, I think, in Detroit about, um, I don't even remember what the issue was, but it turned out to be a news uh, photographer who was disassembling his equipment or something like that. Um, You know, none of these things seem to have any evidence behind them. I'm a big baseball fan, and so here's an, an analogy for, for you other baseball uh, mm-hmm. fans out there. It's almost as if, you know, a team is down 10-5 to 5 in the ninth inning, and before the game is over, they decide to protest the game because of, uh, they say, the umpire missed a call in the second inning. Right? You know, people would say, well, let's finish the game first, for one, and for mm-hmm. two... You know, how do you how are you trying to say that some random call about a, a third strike in the second inning would have made a difference here? Right. We don't even know that. Um, and you'd be laughed at, right, right, if you were trying to make that kind of argument. And I think that's what we should be doing here. So, again, I object to the whole frame of, of a conversation that suggests that these are the sorts of things we should be paying attention to. Uh, let's finish the count, which is the lawful legal thing that happens every single election, mm-hmm. and then let's see what the margins are. And look, if I was Trump lawyers and the margins were really close in a state that made a difference to who won the Electoral College, then we could look into you know the various aspects of the vote casting and counting process. But we're way ahead of ourselves here yeah. on that. Uh, that's sort of a, a strategy. That certainly seems what it is. But you did hit on uh, one point, Josh, that uh, we discussed uh, with you, I think, on this show a few weeks ago. And uh, b- this was after, I think, you published uh, at an op-ed at uh, CNN uh, on, on the one issue, as extreme and radical as it is, that I think could actually find a foothold at the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, whether it changes the results of this election, I don't know. But it could roll back a whole bunch of counting procedures carried out in a whole bunch of states. And that's the focus on the U.S. Constitution's election clause, citing that state legislators, legislatures, are responsible for setting the times, places, and manner of elections. And therefore, this radical argument goes, anybody else, uh, a secretary of state, a state board of elections, a governor in a state, any of those people, if they set an election rule or procedure of any type under state law, that state law can be held unconstitutional under federal law. And there seems to be, as nutty as that sounds, four uh, Supreme Court justices now on record, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, Thomas, and Alito, uh, who seem to be supporting that theory. And am I describing that theory correctly, Joshua? Yeah, the question really is about who has the authority to make election rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, for federal elections. And, you know, it's been thought for a long time that it's the state legislatures, but as interpreted by, you know, laws interpreted by state courts, or, you know, legislatures can broadly delegate authority to state board of elections or secretary of states, 
And I think that question of can there be another actor is now an open legal question because, as you indicated, there's at least four justices who seem to agree with the argument that it's only the state legislature and nobody else. Mm -hmm. We have no clue what Justice Barrett might think. And she's essentially the deciding vote. And if something like, uh, you know, if this entire election, and I don't think it will, but if the entire election, for example, came down to Pennsylvania and late ballots, late arriving ballots, ballots that were cast by Election Day, but they arrived later, if those ballots, uh, you know, were the ones that would decide this election one way or another, you can bet they Republicans would be going to the court to try to make this case. And it would be up to Amy Coney Barrett, essentially, uh, to decide the whole thing, because it sounds to me like the other four. Uh, I mentioned are good to go with this crazy radical theory. So I'm wondering, Joshua Douglas, what would that do to state election laws and rules and procedures, whether it's done now or down the road, because they seem to be itching to do it. What would that do to so many state, you know, rules and laws around the country if this radical court actually held this way? Well, first, let me say that I'm not convinced that there are four votes uh, and maybe five with Barrett to do so in the context of this election. Mm-hmm. I think Justice Kavanaugh is probably there on the legal question, but his votes in some of the earlier cases of this election cycle suggest to me that he's maybe not willing to invoke it to throw out legally cast ballots in the current election. That is, if voters have relied on the rules that are put in force by, say, the state Supreme Court, uh, it seems to me, based on his ruling in, for example, the South Carolina case involving witnesses on an absentee ballot, that he might not rule that way. So uh, I'm not actually convinced that it really would come down to a Justice Barrett in a Trump versus Biden type lawsuit, even if the numbers were, were such that it could come down to Pennsylvania and there's you know enough ballots that have arrived late. And also, early reports suggest that are that are not a ton of. Uh, ballots that are arriving after November 3rd in Pennsylvania. So for a number of reasons, I, you know, that would be the legal argument, and I think the Trump campaign did uh, seek to intervene in that case already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I just don't think the 2020 election is going to come down to that. But to your overall question of what this would do to state protection of the right to vote, I'm very concerned by this legal argument. Um, so State constitutions explicitly grant the right to vote. Forty-nine of the 50 state constitutions have language saying something like, uh, every elector in the state shall be qualified to vote, or every citizen shall be a qualified elector. Mm-hmm. The only one that doesn't is Arizona's, but their courts have construed other language in the state constitution as uh, providing the right to vote. A- Arizona's uh, and, and the U.S. Constitution does not provide that affirmative right to vote, unfortunately. Right. That's, yeah, I was going to say that, right, that the U.S. Constitution, uh, the Supreme Court has interpreted the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to provide protection for the right to vote, and in doing so has protected it, in my view, very narrowly and, and has not robustly said there's a fundamental right to vote. Mm-hmm. In fact, I have a, a scholarly article, a draft that I uh, have, have put out into the world called Undue Deference to State Legislatures in the 2020 Election Litigation that looks at the the federal court litigation all over the country Mm -hmm. uh, this election season and sees a very strong pattern of deference to the states and not protecting the right to vote. Mm. So what does this mean? Now, under current rules, you can at least expect or or hope that the state courts will 
robustly protect the right to vote under the state constitution. And that's exactly what the Pennsylvania Supreme Court did when it decided to extend the absentee ballot receipt deadline. Basically said, look, we're in a pandemic. Uh, making them all get in by November 3rd is probably going to deprive people of the right to vote, and we have a strong right to vote in the state constitution. Mm-hmm. If the U.S. Supreme Court goes down this path of saying only the legislature can make the rules and nobody else, well, that sort of a ruling gets thrown out the window. So it, it, it would undercut the state constitutional protection of the right to vote, which is very concerning. It is very concerning. And it's, I mean, because I can think of just dozens and dozens of, you know, rules and procedures that are put in place, not by the legislature, but that are, uh, you know, entrusted to a, a secretary of state or a board of elections. And it seems to me if they open that door, they could, uh, you know, well, anyone, uh, I was going to say Republicans, but it could be Republicans, Democrats can walk in and basically challenge any rule or procedure since the state legislatures don't tend to, you know, actually spell out every single way that an election uh, can work. Um, very quickly, uh, two quick questions for you. And and don't waste much time answering this first one in particular, Josh. Uh, it was, uh, you know, I usually don't report on Trump's tweets. Uh, But on Thursday morning, he tweeted in all caps, so you know he means it, any vote that came in after Election Day will not be counted. Your response. He wants to disenfranchise military and overseas voters who are serving our country and have under law additional time for their ballots to, to come in. Yeah, that's a pretty shocking statement for the President of the United States to make, isn't it? Uh, I would think, but you know, for this president. All right. And finally, uh, the Biden campaign, uh, Joe Biden campaign attorney Bob Bauer has said that if Trump goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, quote, he will be in for one of the most embarrassing defeats a president has ever suffered by the highest court in the land. Are you confident in that assessment of Bob Bauer's? I think that's right, because there doesn't seem to be any legal theory right now. Now, again, if we were talking about Pennsylvania or North Carolina and the election coming down to those states and the margin was close enough that the, uh, the, that the ballots that arrived after November 3rd could make a difference, then I, you know, I wouldn't be as sure. But we're not seeing that in terms of the numbers right now. All right. Well, when and if the numbers change, I hope you don't mind if we call you back soon. Actually, even if they don't, you know, who knows what it is that the uh, Trump strategy, uh, Trump legal brain trust is going to come up with um, to try to bring and make its way all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, even if there is still no merit to it. I still remain very nervous about what this court will do. Uh, on that uh, grounds of, you know, oh, legislature didn't do it. We got to get rid of it, especially if Amy Coney Barrett decides to not recuse herself in these cases. Uh, So I may need you to come back and uh, talk us off the ledge again uh, pretty soon, Josh. That's fine, as long (laughs) as we don't spend too much time thinking that these claims so far, at least, have any merit to them. Uh, No, I I don't see any. And actually, I would love to have you back to talk about your book some more, because, you know, there's some points in which we disagree in that book. And someday we'll have the luxury to actually have it out on some of those items. I really look forward to it. Josh Douglas teaches and researches election law, voting law, voting rights and constitutional law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. His book is Vote for Us, How to Take Back Our Elections and Change the Future of Voting. 
And you can and should, especially now, uh, find him on the Twitters at Joshua A. Douglas. Uh, oh, and his website, where I, I suspect you can buy the book, is JoshuaADouglas.com. Josh, really appreciate it, my friend. Hang in there. We're almost through this, right? <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thank you, sir. Okay, Desi Doyen. Yeah. <clears throat> so, we have, uh, I've gone through all the numbers for you there in the A block, uh, pointing out how it's almost impossible at this point for Donald Trump to win at least fairly and squarely by the numbers. Uh, I've just talked to Josh Douglas there about all of these legal efforts that Donald Trump is now uh, making. He thinks none of them are going to come to fruition or none of them are going to work, at least until farther down the road if we see if there is anything there to actually challenge as opposed to pretend to challenge, as Donald Trump does. Feel any better yet? No. See, again, it's the it's the idea that evidence and legal thinking and theories should be followed. It doesn't necessarily matter when it comes to a right wing Supreme Court that doesn't actually really care that much for such niceties like data and evidence. So, um, you know, maybe they will, maybe they won't, and that's the question that I think is is extremely disturbing and uh, shows where we are as a country today. It shows where you are as a bitter, <laughs> cynical. cynical. Oh, definitely. Uh, I don't blame you, to be frank. I mean, uh, I have I have PTSD from 2016. Apparently. And, and again, I, I think we are in really dangerous territory with this uh, Supreme Court that we've got. And uh, I'm sure you have uh, PTSD from your regular beat as the managing <laughs> editor true. of our Green News Report. That would make anyone bitter and cynical <laughs> at this point, so I can hardly blame you. Speaking of which, we will take a break and we will come back with our latest Green News report and the delightful Desi Doyen. I'm Brad Friedman and this is your Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. been one of those weeks where I wouldn't mind stopping the world just <laughs> yes. to take a nap somewhere along the way. <laughs> that would have been very nice. Yep. Uh, anyway, uh, quite a week, uh, quite an election week that continues on. Uh, nonetheless, uh, some interesting news about it in our latest Green News Report. The oil industry pollutes it has to be replaced by renewable energy over time. The future of U.S. climate policy following the 2020 presidential election. We could see a landfall in South Florida. It could curve up and make a strike in the Florida panhandle. Heads up, Florida. Destructive Hurricane Eta may be headed your way. Plus... The climate crisis calls us to action. And yet... On November 4th, the United States officially withdrew from the Paris Agreement. As Trump officially exits the Paris Climate Accord, U.S. states say they are still in. I bet Joe Biden is in, too. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Our opponents do not believe... In science. I remember that guy. Is he still around? This is your Green News Report. I 
Okay, Desi Doyen, I think we made it through to the other side. I think we know which way this presidential election is now going. So what does that mean? (laughs) I have no idea. Great. But we'll talk about that in a moment. First, a humanitarian disaster is unfolding in Central America. In the wake of powerful, record-breaking Hurricane Eta and its torrential rains, floods, and mudslides that have pummeled some of the poorest regions in Nicaragua and Honduras. But now, Tropical Storm Eta ain't done yet. While its long-term track is very uncertain, the storm is forecast to regain strength and could potentially target South Florida, including a possible strike on extremely vulnerable, low-lying Tampa Bay. No, even Florida doesn't deserve that. Yep, this is 2020, so hey, Florida, keep an eye on this one. Yes, please. As we go to air, the 2020 presidential election is still officially undecided, as ballots are still being counted, but it appears that former Vice President Joe Biden is on track to ultimately win the presidency. If that happens, it is potentially good news for a revival of U.S. climate and pollution policies. The Trump administration officially left the International Paris Climate Agreement on Wednesday, the only nation to do so, and Biden has pledged to rejoin it immediately. But they may extract some concessions in order to allow the U.S. back in. Oh, I hope they do. Progressive climate hawk candidates in down-ballot races did pretty well in a number of states, and in the U.S. Senate, two Democrats, former astronaut Mark Kelly in Arizona and John Hickenlooper in Colorado, defeated incumbent Republicans. But at this time, Republicans appear likely to retain control of the U.S. Senate severely limiting any impact that a potential Biden administration could have on emissions, pollution, and clean energy. That said, when Trump was in office, he was able to do a whole bunch without uh, Congress helping him out to destroy the environment. So, in theory, Biden can reverse those actions to improve things Almost immediately. Well, a Republican-controlled Senate would have an effective veto over any climate legislation and pretty much prevents any chance of using the Congressional Review Act to overturn Trump's most recent environmental rollbacks. Mm. The next chance to flip the Senate and achieve meaningful climate legislation won't be for another two years in the 2022 midterms. Well... I guess we'll take what we can get at this point. But policy experts say a potential Biden administration could do a lot on climate and energy without control of the Senate through executive orders, new regulations and standards, federal agency budgets and programs, new funding for research and development, and through foreign policy. Well, that's exactly what I was just trying to say. Oh, I misunderstood. Pay attention, Doyen. However, many of those actions are likely to be challenged in the courts that Trump and Senate Republicans have packed with right-wing judges. Oh, yeah, there's that. But climate scientists say that delay on enacting strong U.S. climate policies is not game over for solving climate change. It just makes an already difficult task much, much harder. The scientific reality hasn't budged. Scientists with the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change still warn that we must cut global emissions in half by 2030 to have the best chance at avoiding irreversible, truly catastrophic climate outcomes. Every year of delay means we will have to increase the rate of emissions cuts to meet the 2030 target. CBS meteorologist Jeff Berardelli explains. That's a drop of more than 7% year after year. But if the world delays bold action for another four years, we need to double our ambition reducing emissions by 15% per year, a virtually impossible feat. For this country, 
I would say so. Finally, Washington State Governor Jay Inslee, whose ambitious climate policies set the gold standard during the Democratic primary and who won his re-election bid on Tuesday, released a video reassuring the international community that American states and cities are still working toward climate goals and will not quit, regardless of who is president. We can and will do better. There is so much of the U.S. that is still in this fight with you, and soon you'll have our full commitment again in this great nation. For much more on these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Don't give up on us, I know. We can still come through. <laughs> We will see. That's an old song. It is. Oldie but goodie. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Yes, I have a quick follow-up. So remember, there are those two Senate races that are headed for a runoff in January in Georgia. Right. And the voter registration deadline to vote in that runoff is December 7th. So if you know anybody in Georgia, make sure they're registered to vote. Uh, There you go. December 7th is the right. We're not even done with this election. You're already looking forward to the next one. Oh, yeah. Hey, listen. Climate legislation requires the retaking the Senate yep. in 2022, or at least a supermajority, if at all possible. And so the work for that starts now. And that is still a, uh, a, a, a heavy lift at this point oh, to indeed. take the uh, majority in the Senate. However, it is possible. Uh, Democrats did flip two seats, one in Arizona, one in Colorado. They lost the one in Alabama. However, still undecided at this time anyway. There are those two seats in Georgia, likely headed to a runoff. There's the seat in North Carolina. Uh, and uh, also that one out in Alaska that, who knows, sort of a wild card. Right. Seems unlikely. But uh, if they, they've picked up one, if they pick up three total and Joe Biden wins, that means Kamala Harris breaks the 50-50 tie and uh, Dems have a majority. Right. So there are still places to get a Senate majority in order to get necessary climate legislation. Georgia is the first place to focus for that. Don't give up on us, baby. <laughs> I ain't gonna. All right. Very good. Uh, thank you very much, Desi Doyen, our producer, and to my guest today, Josh Douglas of the University of Kentucky, and to all of you for hanging in there with us uh, and spending a portion of your day or night or afternoon with us. It's always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Share it with your friends and your family and your neighbors and your enemies and your cynical friends like Desi Doyen. <laughs> who need to uh, be cheered up a little bit. Uh, you can also, uh, oh, while you're there, please consider stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help both Desi and me continue to do what we try to do over your public airwaves for as long as we possibly can. You can also drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Bradblog. I will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Don't give up on us, We're still worth one more try.